Hello and welcome to Newman's Thoughts, a multimedia reading project from the Newman Institute for Catholic Thought and Culture to promote the thoughts and ideas of our patron saint, John Henry Newman. I'm Patrick Callahan, director of the Newman Institute. Today is day 29, and I'm reading section 7 of Discourse 3 to St. John Henry Newman's The Idea of University. I'm using the Cluny Media Edition of The Idea of University. You can follow along with this or any other edition, or even online, via our daily email. St. John Henry Newman, The Idea of a University, Discourse 3, Bearing of Theology on Other Branches of Knowledge, Section 7. Now, what is theology? First, I will tell you what it is not. And here in the first place, though of course I speak on the subject as a Catholic, observe that, strictly speaking, I am not assuming that Catholicism is true, while I make myself the champion of theology. Catholicism has not formally entered into my argument hitherto, nor shall I just now assume any principle peculiar to it, for reasons which will appear in the sequel, though of course I shall use Catholic language. Neither, secondly, will I fall into the fashion of the day of identifying natural theology with physical theology, which said physical theology is a most jejune study, considered as a science, and really is no science at all, for it is ordinarily nothing more than a series of pious or polemical remarks upon the physical world viewed religiously, whereas the natural properly comprehends man and society, and all that is involved therein, as the great Protestant writer Dr. Butler shows us. Nor in the third place do I mean by theology polemics of any kind, for instance, what are called the evidences of religion, or the Christian evidences, for though these constitute a science supplemental to theology, and are necessary in their place, they are not theology itself, unless an army is synonymous with the body politic. Nor, fourthly, do I mean by theology that vague thing called Christianity, or our common Christianity, or Christianity the law of the land, if there is any man alive who can tell what it is. I discard it for the very reason that it cannot throw itself into a proposition. Lastly, I do not understand by theology acquaintance with the scriptures, for though no person of religious feelings can read scripture, but he will find those feelings roused, and gain much knowledge of history into the bargain, yet historical reading and religious feeling are not science. I mean none of these things by theology. I simply mean the science of God, or the truths we know about God, put into system, just as we have a science of the stars and call it astronomy, or of the crust of the earth and call it geology. For instance, I mean, for this is the main point, that as in the human frame there is a living principle, acting upon it and through it by means of volition, so behind the veil of the visible universe there is an invisible, intelligent being, acting on and through it, as and when he will. Further, I mean that this invisible agent is in no sense a soul of the world, after the analogy of human nature, but on the contrary, is absolutely distinct from the world, as being its creator, upholder, governor, and sovereign lord. Here we are at once brought into the circle of doctrines, which the idea of God embodies. I mean then by the supreme being, one who is simply self-dependent, and the only being who is such. Moreover, that he is without beginning or eternal, and the only eternal, that in consequence he has lived a whole eternity by himself, and hence that he is all-sufficient, sufficient for his own blessedness, and all-blessed and ever-blessed. Further, I mean a being who, having these prerogatives, has the supreme good, or rather is the supreme good, or has all the attributes of good in infinite intenseness, all wisdom, all truth, all justice, all love, all holiness, all beautifulness, who is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, ineffably one, absolutely perfect, and such that what we do not know and cannot even imagine of him is far more wonderful than what we do and can. I mean one who is sovereign over his own will and actions, though always according to the eternal rule of right and wrong, which is himself. I mean, moreover, that he created all things out of nothing, and preserves them every moment, and could destroy them as easily as he made them, and that in consequence he is separated from them by an abyss, 
and is incommunicable in all his attributes. And further, he has stamped upon all things in the hour of their creation, their respective natures, and has given them their work and mission and their length of days, greater or less, in their appointed place. I mean, too, that he is ever present in his works, one by one, and confronts everything he has made by his particular and most loving providence, and manifests himself to each according to its need, and has on rational beings imprinted the moral law, and given them power to obey it, imposing on them the duty of worship and service, searching and scanning them through and through with his omniscient eye, and putting before them a present trial and a judgment to come. Such is what theology teaches about God, a doctrine as the very idea of its subject matter presupposes, so mysterious as in its fullness to lie beyond any system, and in particular aspects to be simply external to nature, and to seem in parts even to be irreconcilable with itself, the imagination being unable to embrace what the reason determines. It teaches of a being infinite yet personal, all-blessed yet ever-operative, absolutely separate from the creature, yet in every part of the creation at every moment, above all things yet under everything, above all things yet under everything. It teaches of a being who, though the highest, yet in the work of creation, conservation, government, retribution, makes himself, as it were, the minister and servant of all, who, though inhabiting eternity, allows himself to take an interest and to have a sympathy in the matters of space and time. His are all beings, visible and invisible, the noblest and the vilest of them. His are the substance and the operation and the results of that system of physical nature into which we are born. His too are the powers and achievements of the intellectual essences on which he has bestowed an independent action and the gift of origination. The laws of the universe, the principles of truth, the relation of one thing to another, their qualities and virtues, the order and harmony of the whole, all that exists is from him. And if evil is not from him, as assuredly it is not, this is because evil has no substance of his own, but is only the defect, excess, perversion, or corruption of that which has substance. All we see, hear, and touch, the remote sidereal firmament, as well as our own sea and land, and the elements which compose them, and the ordinances they obey, are his. The primary atoms of matter, their properties, their mutual action, their disposition and collocation, electricity, magnetism, gravitation, light, and whatever other subtle principles or operations the wit of man is detecting or shall detect, are the work of his hands. From him has been every movement which has convulsed and refashioned the surface of the earth. The most insignificant and unsightly insect is from him, and good in its kind, the ever-teeming, inexhaustible swarms of animacules, the myriads of living motes invisible to the naked eye, the restless, ever-spreading vegetation which creeps like a garment over the whole earth, the lofty cedar, the umbracious banana are his. His are the tribes and families of birds and beasts, their graceful forms, their wild gestures, and their passionate cries. And so in the intellectual, moral, social, and political world, man with his motives and works, his languages, his propagation, his diffusion is from him. Agriculture, medicine, and the arts of life are his gifts. Society, laws, government, he is their sanction. The pageant of earthly royalty has the semblance and the benediction of the eternal king. Peace and civilization, commerce and adventure, wars when just, conquest when humane and necessary have his cooperation and his blessing upon them. The course of events, the revolution of empires, the rise and fall of states, the periods and eras, the progresses and the retrogressions of the world's history, not indeed the incidental sin, overabundant as it is, but the great outlines and the results of human affairs are from his disposition. The elements and types and seminal principles and constructive powers of the moral world, in ruins though it be, are to be referred to him. He enlighteneth every man that cometh into this world. His are the dictates of the moral sense, and the retributive reproaches of conscience. To him must be ascribed the rich endowments of the intellect, the irradiation of genius, 
the imagination of the poet, the sagacity of the politician, the wisdom, as scripture calls it, which now rears and decorates the temple, now manifests itself in proverb or in parable. The old saws of nations, the majestic props of philosophy, the luminous maxims of law, the oracles of individual wisdom, the traditionary rules of truth, justice, and religion, even though embedded in the corruption or alloyed with the pride of the world betoken his original agency and his long-suffering presence, even where there is habitual rebellion against him or profound far-spreading social depravity, still the undercurrent or the heroic outburst of natural virtue, as well as the yearnings of the heart after what it has not, and its presentiments of its true remedies are to be ascribed to the author of all good. Anticipations or reminiscences of his glory haunt the mind of the self-sufficient sage and of the pagan devotee. His writing is upon the wall, whether of the Indian fane or of the porticos of Greece. He introduces himself, he all but concurs, according to his good pleasure and in his selected season, in the issues of unbelief, superstition, and false worship. And he changes the character of Acts by his overruling operation. He condescends, though he gives no sanction, to the altars and shrines of imposture, and he makes his own fiat the substitute for its sorceries. He speaks amid the incantations of Balaam, raises Samuel's spirit in the witch's cavern, prophesies of the Messiah by the tongue of the Sibyl, forces Python to recognize his ministers, and baptizes by the hand of the misbeliever. He is with the heathen dramaturgist in his denunciations of injustice and tyranny and his auguries of divine vengeance upon crime. Even on the unseemly legends of a popular mythology he casts his shadow, and is dimly discerned in the ode or the epic, as in troubled water or in fantastic dreams. All that is good, all that is true, all that is beautiful, all that is beneficent, be it great or small, be it perfect or fragmentary, natural as well as supernatural, moral as well as material, comes from him. Thanks for listening to Newman's Thoughts. To discover more about today's reading, or to download this season's reading guide, visit newmansthoughts.com. This has been a production of the Newman Institute for Catholic Thought and Culture, an apostle of the Diocese of Lincoln, in partnership with St. Gregory the Great Seminary and the UNL Newman Center, St. Thomas Aquinas Church.